Wasabi Wallet. Unfairly private. What's up, everyone? Ben with the BTC Sessions here, and this is your daily session. Hodl that Bitcoin. Before we dive into the news, of course, shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. They've, of course, got their Bitcoin savings account where you can earn interest on your Bitcoin paid in Bitcoin. They've got Bitcoin backed loans where you can utilize your Bitcoin as collateral to obtain a US or Canadian dollar loan. So if you're in a pinch, you need to get your hands on dollars, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, maybe you're worried it might go up. Uh, this could be an option for you. And finally, they've got their B2X offering for all you Bitcoin bulls out there that gets you double the exposure to the price fluctuations of Bitcoin. If you want to check them out, there is a link in the show notes down below. And if you opt to get a loan via their service using that link, they'll actually credit you with an additional 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin into your account. And secondly, we have Rise Wallet. This is a physical Bitcoin gift card that you can give to anybody. It's super easy, super idiot proof. You can pick it up at a store near you. The way it works is when you gift it to somebody, on the back it tells them to download the paired app, at which point they can scratch and scan a code on the back of the card. This creates them a brand new Bitcoin wallet on their phone and then sends them an on-chain transaction for the face value of the card. I love this thing. I've gifted it to lots of people that I know, um, and it's really great, I think, for new users. So if you want to check them out, head over to risewallet.com, click on locations and see where you can pick one up. They are currently only in Canada, but they are looking at expanding, so keep an eye out for them elsewhere. With that, let's dive into the news. Uh, so very exciting news out of Lightning Labs. So Elizabeth Stark, the CEO and co-founder of Lightning Labs, announced today that they have secured a $10 million Series A funding round to further develop their Lightning Payments technology and scale the developer ecosystem. So just as a reference, uh, the Lightning Network officially launched uh, into its beta in early 2018. So it's only been running for about two years, coming up on two years here. And the pace of innovation has been pretty staggering. I've got to say, when I first booted up a Lightning wallet on my on my phone a couple of years back, it was difficult. You know, channel management was not easy, figuring out what capacity was. Uh, there was really none of the difficult parts had yet been abstracted away, whereas some of the more recent videos that I've done on Lightning wallets like Breeze and Phoenix, um, those wallets, a lot of the difficulty has been taken away from the front end so the user doesn't even have to see it. And it's just all automated and you can just simply receive and send payments. There's rarely issues with routing or capacity. Um, so in general, it's just been a, an all-around great experience and things have really taken off. So I'm very excited to see these guys uh, securing a funding round. Um, so this blog post here, she goes on to talk about her experience, um, about uh, realizing how promising Bitcoin was. But in her original tweet back in 2014, she said, Bitcoin as a protocol has huge potential. It's like the TCP layer, but 
no one has built the HTTP layer yet. And she was talking about the internet, how, you know, you have the TCP IP base layer, but then you needed to have things like HTTP on top of it, which was the internet as we know it. Um, so she was talking about Bitcoin being the base layer and then application layers being built atop it and how she's driving to accomplish that. She also took the moment to uh, draw attention to their very first Lightning-related product. So it should be um, clear that Lightning network itself is open source. Anybody can build and implement clients, um, but you can also build other applications that work with and around the Lightning Network, and those can be proprietary or they can be open source as well. So Loop is a project and a product that they've put together um, that allows a number of things. So if you go over to their uh, Loop page, they do have it up on GitHub, so it is open source. You can take a look at it there. Um, but the long and the short of it, why use Loop? Because this is, of course, a paid product for Lightning. You can do uh, a lot of these functions manually on your own, but this is something that, uh, particularly for businesses, could help while also still being uh, non-custodial. So you can add inbound liquidity to receive payments. You can reduce transaction fees by recycling and reusing Lightning channels. You can send funds to and from users or services that aren't yet Lightning enabled. You can configure wait times and batching to allow for further fee savings. And you can refill and offload funds from any number of Lightning channels in a single on-chain transaction. So with that, they, you know, obviously charge fees because a lot of that is abstracted away by the product that they've built. Um, and so to loop in, you are looking at around 0.05% to half a percent. And to loop in, you're looking at 0.1% up to 1%. And it very much depends on on-chain wait time, on-chain fee conditions, so on and so forth. Um, so very interesting to see not only the proliferation of Lightning as a decentralized um, open source protocol, but also now products starting to be built on top of it like Loop and like other, other wallet services and automation services that can abstract things away for users. So uh, congrats to the team at Lightning Labs and Elizabeth Stark for pioneering some new stuff here. Now, moving away from uh, successful and useful innovation to uh, poor, crappy products, uh, BitPay. Oh, I love the title of this article. So hats off to Paul Haviland over at CryptoBriefing.com. Uh, the title of his article is BitPay and the Art of Underwhelming Upgrades. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, so anyways, a while back, BitPay, you know, BitPay was one of the early entrants to the space and it got a lot of investment from early Bitcoin adopters, uh, but has drawn the ire of the Bitcoin community over time as they tended to embrace shitcoins and then purposely um, impede Bitcoin users by one, not upgrading to SegWit to save on fees, two, not even looking at Lightning Network, and three, um, introducing something called BIP70, which is a payment protocol that essentially doesn't play nice with 
any major Bitcoin wallets that a regular user would partake in. Um, you would get a merchant that goes to BitPay and says, hey, I want to accept Bitcoin. And then when people go to pay online at the particular merchant, they would scan it with a Bitcoin wallet that most people would use and it just wouldn't register. The QR code doesn't work and you have to use some sort of like you know, a compatibility tool in order to actually utilize it. Uh, well, that is very much over. Um, they have since uh, reversed that and they are rolling out users' ability to pay all BitPay invoices from any cryptocurrency wallet or exchange as of yesterday. Um, so again, too little too late. I uh, Totally agree with the sentiment of this particular article here. Uh, there's they're getting a lot of criticism because it, while they are just now realizing that hey, people like to use Bitcoin normally, they've dropped the ball on like I said, adding adding uh, SegWit addresses or BEC32 addresses that that can further reduce people's fees, um, batching, stuff like that. Also, they haven't even begun to look at Lightning Network, which is unbelievable for a payments processor. And with their poor decision-making when it came to their business, uh, it made way for BTC Pay Server. So one of the most important projects in the Bitcoin space right now, being able to trustlessly and non-custodially set up online merchant processing um, portals so that you can accept payments uh, without having to rely on a third party. And then there are still third party apps available. One notable one is OpenNode, which has not gone the route of BitPay and has tried to keep up with Bitcoin innovation by ensuring that they have full SegWit support as well as Lightning payments. So uh, yeah, I don't know. BitPay really just dropped the ball, shot themselves in the foot and spent more time embracing every shitcoin under the sun then actually focusing on what brings in any real revenue which most people when making purchases by and large that they're going to be doing it using bitcoin if they're purchasing online using cryptocurrency uh so anyways good riddance whatever <laughs> let's move on uh very excited to see this so this is an article from decrypt um a while back, uh, there was a BBC podcast series called The Missing Crypto Queen. It was awesome. It is an eight-part series uh, cataloging um, a lot of the story behind uh, the the Ponzi scheme that is OneCoin and Dr. Ruja Ignatova, the founder of OneCoin. And so it kind of chronicles how this complete scam was able to milk people out of literally billions of dollars. And oddly enough, uh, it's still running. It's just they've gone from a lot of the Western markets that figured out what the hell was going on uh, and, and catered to markets in Africa and Asia, uh, where the language barrier um, of a lot of these English-based articles 
calling out the scam just does not translate. Um, anyways, it's an incredible series and well worth a listen. So check it out. Uh, but they are turning it into a TV drama. So BBC, I'll just read here. BBC Sounds podcast, The Missing Crypto Queen, which explores the disappearance of OneCoin founder Dr. Ruja Ignatova, is set to be adapted into a TV drama series according to entertainment industry publication Deadline. New Regency Television International secured the screen rights to the adaptation, fending off rival bids from A24 and 20th Century TV. New Regency's Ed Rubin and Emma uh, Broughton will produce the series alongside the podcast co-writers Jamie Bartlett and Georgia Cat. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited to see this. I think it's going to be probably some great timing as well. If they can get this together and drop it sometime next year, it'll probably be right in the midst of some pretty sizable manias in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. And my hope is in seeing stuff and listening uh, to this one coin or watching this one coin TV drama, people will be more in tune with the scams that can happen and they'll make better decisions. So that's my hope. Anyways, if you haven't heard this podcast yet, check the show notes. There's a link to the article in question and they've got uh, links to the actual um links to the actual podcast there. And just one more story I wanted to touch on here. This one out of Bitcoinist. Uh, The title here is Central Bank Crypto Still 10 Years Away, says former ECB Vice President. So from the top here, the former Bank de France Governor Christian Neuer suggested that a consumer-focused central bank digital currency, or CBDC, could be could still be 10 years away despite current interest from over 50 central banks. However, he did predict that digital payments between commercial banks will happen fairly soon, according to an article on FT.com. A couple notable quotes before I give you my thoughts here. He said, uh, whether they will enact the projects in the next 10 years remains to be seen. I don't think we are close to the departure lounge, but the fact that they want to study it means a lot of work will continue this year. Uh, He also goes on to say that there needs to be a central bank backed currency somewhere. It's an important part of the credibility of money that the general public can access. And as you can hear from my light chuckling throughout that, uh, there's a lot here that needs to be unpacked. Uh, I won't spend too long on this, but okay. Number one, um, 10 years. Wow. 10 years before central bank digital currency could make its way into the hands of regular day-to-day consumers. Uh, What they're talking about as far as bank-to-bank is there could be something sooner that would serve as a base currency that gets lent out from the central bank to commercial banks. Uh, But eventually there could be a central bank digital currency that regular consumers uh, could use. So what does this look like in comparison to the current system that we have? Well, right now you have central bank digital currencies that are obviously printed um, in the form of banknotes and coins uh, and also lent to uh, actual consumer or rather uh, into um, actual uh, consumer facing banks or or uh, retail banks. So 
in that instance, regular consumers can access the central bank digital currency by just having the bills and and the coins. That's pretty much it, right? You can't be issued any other central bank digital currency in a digital means. Uh, most people, however, interact with banks which are holding the real currency and then lending out fractional reserve currency on top of that. So like a secondary layer to the base currency. Um, what they're saying here is odds are what they're going to start with is a central bank digital currency that is mostly for interbank settlement, but will not be in the hands of regular retail consumers. And the worry that they talk about here is if they just go straight to consumers, then the central bank is all of the anti-money laundering and know your customer laws will fall on them. And so if they do so and consumers get used to having kind of a direct line to the central bank, then it gets rid of the function of regular consumer banks. Uh, and that could have a, a bad impact on the economy as a whole. Um, and so odds are they're probably not going to go that route. What they'll do is they will make it possible for regular consumers to hold central bank digital currency at some point. Uh, but most consumers will hold a secondary fractional reserve currency that is still issued by these consumer banks. Um, the funny thing about this is, is that one, how slow these guys are going, but two, how it doesn't even solve anything that makes them or keeps them competitive. Bitcoin was created in a, as a direct response to terrible central bank policy. And so <laughs> until the central banks actually compete in the realm of monetary policy, digitizing doesn't mean shit. People are still going to flee central bank digital currencies just as much as they flee regular central bank currencies in the face of better alternatives. It doesn't matter that it's digital. The other interesting thing in this article that I noticed is they cite Facebook's Libra project, Facebook's uh, uh, digital currency that they were trying to get off the ground as a major reason for the quickness and quickness in quotations because 10 years, Jesus. Uh, but anyways, they cite Facebook Libra as a reason for pursuing this. Um, but the elephant in the room is that when Facebook tried to go and launch its corporate coin that would compete with central banks, they got hauled into the Senate, grilled with tons of questioning and banned from multiple countries, whereas Bitcoin is sitting there, again, a direct competitor with better monetary policy, um, that is just, you, you can't do anything about it. It's just sitting there, it's decentralized, it exists, it continues to function, and even if you wanted to shut it down, there's nobody to haul into the Senate. There's no one to question. Sure, you could ban it in certain countries, but if people want to flee their local currency in the face of bad monetary policy and go to something better and more sound, they will do it. And you can look no further than places like Venezuela and Argentina as proof. So I'm going to wrap that up there. Uh, let me know what you think about 
a 10-year roadmap to get a central bank digital currency into the hands of, of consumers. I find it super hilarious if you haven't noticed. Uh, and I mean, not to mention that if it did take them 10 years, we've got another decade of Bitcoin growth and infrastructure completed. They'll be so far behind the ball. It will be unbelievable. Um, Anyways, let's wrap it there. Thank you guys so much for watching and or listening. If you are on YouTube, be sure to hit like, subscribe and share. And if you're listening to this via podcast, please do share this out via your social media. It will be great to get more people watching and listening across both platforms. If you want to help out the show in another way, you can hit up the sponsors down below. There is Ledin and Rise Wallet, links in the show notes, as well as Wasabi Wallet, which can help you with your Bitcoin privacy. So be sure to check out that link as well. And finally, you can help out the show by checking out NordVPN. This is an app that I use on both my phone and my computer regularly. What it does is it hides your IP address, it encrypts your browsing data, and it has other added benefits like unlocking geoblog content. So if you want to access something that you can't see in your country, just change your country of origin from within the app and it should be unlocked for you no problem. Uh, so if you want to check them out, there's a link in the show notes or conversely, you could go to nordvpn.com and use the code BTC sessions, all one word that will get you 70% off as well as one month free. It ends up being about $3 and 49 cents a month. So pretty damn good. And with that, I am signing off. Thank you guys very much. And I will see you next time for your daily session.